Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. Mailbag! I'm so excited. We've never done a mailbag before. I know. This was your idea, and you came up with it yesterday. We're doing this because, you know, it's going to be summer, and Kristen's going to be traveling. And presumably everything will be more or less the same when you get back, and we're not missing anything crazier than usual. I mean, it's possible that the world of polling will radically change in the next two weeks, but we're hoping that it doesn't. Right. And anyway, it's summer and, you know, you'll cut us some slack. And so when you suggested this, you said, let's just put it on Twitter and we'll get lots of questions. And I was like, we're going to get, like, questions about, like, the finite population calculation or, you know, which voter file vendor did we like best or, you know, what's the value of, you know, the statistical tester. And I was like, oh, you know, (laughs) but we did not. We got really interested. Great, fantastic questions for you guys. It was yes. fantastic. I was like, such, I don't want to spend like primary night like coming up with some like statistical like syllabus. No, know? no, no. <laughs> that is not the spirit of the mailbag. The spirit of the yes. mailbag is some things that are vaguely related to your area of expertise and some things that are strange. You guys knew exactly what Kristen meant in terms of the questions. Yes. So just have to give a couple shout outs to some of my friends who have asked questions. People I knew from college who have weighed in with things. Let's take Michael S. coming to us from Denver, Colorado, who asks, would you rather fight one Jeff Sessions sized Tom Cotton or 100 Tom Cotton sized Jeff Sessions? Is. Uh, 100 Tom Cotton sized Jeff Sessions is next question. Uh, no, I thought that was funny. Then uh, Mark A. This is this is a nerd question that I'm Margie. I'm curious if you are interested in weighing in. Mark A. from Florida, Ray from the most recent Star Wars trilogy versus Leia from the original Star Wars trilogy, right? Versus Princess Vespa from Spaceballs. Hmm. All of them in their early twenties, so right. all the same age. In a fight, who wins? Oh my goodness. I think it's got to be Ray. I think it's got to be Ray too. Yeah. She's super strong She's with the force. She's really physical. Yeah. She seems like the most physical. She. We're assuming this is a physical less... fight and not a psychological mm, fight, by the way. Right. Then Leia and Princess Vespa rise way to the top right, of that right, list. Right. But, you know, and also Ray was not sort of, she did not grow up with princess privilege, you know, in the same way that. Leia and Princess Vespa did, so. That's true. Uh, All right, next question from Ross M. Any circumstances where you think polling does not work well but is used anyway? Hmm. What are the biggest abuses of polling? Well, you know, here's... Here's something from, like, the candidate side that you wouldn't necessarily know from the public polling, and that is, you know, how do you introduce a new candidate that somebody hasn't really seen or heard much about before and 
tell their story. And that's something that is a little bit harder to do in a, an uh, inner phone interview when you'd actually be communicating with folks in a more visual way. You'd have a television spot, you'd show photos, you'd have the candidate on camera, and you can't do that in a telephone survey. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter how good your telephone survey is. You simply can't introduce somebody to a brand new person they haven't seen before with just an audio track, right? So, um, so that's something that you, that you still have to do. That's still part of polling for candidates, but it is also important to then test advertising and use qualitative where you could say, okay, here is a video. What do you think of this person when you see them speaking? Here they are with the sound off and with the sound on. What what do you think about them? What do you think they're saying? Well, you think if you saw them in an elevator, what would they be like? That kind of thing. Next question. We're going to stay on the Star Wars kick just here for a brief moment. Hit on the trilogy we haven't talked about. This comes to us from Cam. Why were polls so wrong in 2016 predicting a Clinton win? Oh, teed that one up. (laughs) And what do you really think about Jar Jar Binks? Let me start with Jar Jar Binks. Okay. And then we will tear apart that first piece of the question. Uh, So Jar Jar Binks, I never understood at the time why everybody hated him so much. I can actually do a pretty good impression of him. Wasn't until the last couple of years rewatching the movie in the 2010s, right? That I realized why people are so offended by Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, uh, he is a pr- it's pro- he's problematic, right? By modern standards. Yep. Now I feel bad for the actor who played him because there are all of these reports that like this actor was so berated by like hardcore Star Wars fans Aww. that he like at one point like contemplated. I mean, just you know, like really, really, really sad stuff. So. My beef with Jar Jar Binks has nothing to do with the actor who felt that he was just portraying a character that was going to bring joy to millions of children around the world. Uh, But George Lucas, we need to have a talk. And then, first part of the question, why were polls so wrong in 2016 predicting a Clinton win? Margie, take it away. (laughs) I feel like this is a question we've answered before, but we will certainly answer it again, right? Because it is something that we I still get asked all the time, and it's important, right? I mean, the whole world felt surprised. And I think there are a couple things that happened. The first thing – well, first, if you're really interested, folks should read the APOR report that really dug into the weeds. Nobody's going to go read that report. If they haven't read it already, they're not going to read it. I will assimilate (laughs) their findings and put them out as my own You should wait by education. You should wait by education. One <laughs> length summary. Right. You should wait by education. And that is something that, you know, and ask education perhaps differently. I mean, that's something that we've done at our firm. We've now changed the way we've asked education. So you're really looking at all the different, you know, ranges of educational attainment. It's not just four-year college versus not four-year college. There's a lot more to it. It matters a lot, especially there's the educational divide and Trump support. I just saw something new and like – Someplace else, I don't. Some new poll that came out. I saw a headline fly by me today. So it is still a really big thing um, that matters a lot, and that would have minimized some of the error and some of the public polls that came out in some states. So that's one finding. The other is when you have public polls and then and they're off by a little bit, and then the hand and then the handicappers and forecasters sort of magnify that error by saying it's. 
75% to 90% chance of Clinton winning. This is not to disparage anybody, whether it's the polls or the handicappers. That's just the reality of, you know, and, you know, analyzing polls that come in from different sources. And then you have the press writing a story like, okay, well, what's the Clinton transition team going to look like? That just magnifies that error still. And, and so you're talking about a couple point difference that leads to the entire world thinking that Clinton's going to win. And, you know, should we have tried to uh, collectively, all of us, try to, you know, think more open-mindedly about what might happen? And I guess the answer is yes. I mean, I think that the other piece of this is just how unusual Trump is, was, and still is as a figure that it just seemed hard to believe that he would win. And that's not that doesn't mean that anybody was right or wrong. I mean, his own team, I mean, you know, this is not a secret. It's not even a partisan observation that he's a non-traditional candidate. It's very unusual for someone to kind of just walk in from a different line of work that is not politics or public service and, and win the presidency with like the bare bones operation that he had. And so, um, so, I, you know, I think that that's part of the reason that people just thought, well, that's just not going to happen. Surely Clinton, who has been prepared for this for a long time, is going to win. So I think all of that really added to why we felt the results were going to go the way they they went. But now you see, you know, I think people adjusting in terms of how they view the polls, how they, you know, assess public polling, what kind of public polling they look at and so on. View the polls probabilistically, realize that we do not elect presidents by popular vote at this point. So state polling really, really matters. Uh, and just broaden the range of things that you believe can be possible, good or bad. Right. Broaden that range. Yeah. Next question comes to us from Nora Elizabeth, Chicago Cubs fan. She asks, what's the funniest way in which someone misunderstood your job? <laughs> For me, it was when I first started working in the industry, people thought that when I said I was joining a polling firm that I was going to be a telemarketer. Right. Um, and when I tell people, this still happens, People will say, well, you say you're a Republican pollster. They think that means I only survey Republicans, which could not be further from the truth. Right. It means that when I work in politics and when I work for partisan entities, they are Republican entities. But a lot of my clients aren't partisan at all. And if I'm only surveying Republicans, I'm doing my job badly. <laughs> Unless that is like the specific goal of right. the project. Right, right, right. What about you? Anyway, somebody's misunderstood your job? Yes. So – I was at like a cool party in the Lower East Side. This was like before the Rivington Hotel was there. Your story's stuff. already so much better and than mine. So, <laughs> and, I, and I was talking to this like gal who like looked way cooler than me. Like she, you know, she had like cool hair and everything. And um, and I told her what I did. I said, I'm a pollster. And she's like, oh, my God, I've always wanted to do that. I was like – Really? And I was like thinking, there's no oh, way. No. This. She's like, yes, you're an upholsterer. That is so cool. So she thought I said upholsterer as opposed <laughs> to pollster. And so there, so this is, so I was like, well, that's new. And I was like, okay, well, that, and this, I mean, I was in my 20s. This was a long time ago. And I mean, I don't even know if you could say I was a pollster. I was like the junior analyst. But anyway, all that being said. I've been telling this story for a long time and I told them when we did like some NPR, one of those things together. And on election day, I was talking to somebody at the voting, my polling place in Tacoma Park. And I was like, oh, she's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pollster. She's like, I just heard somebody on the radio say that like someone thought that they were an upholster. I'm like, that was me. <laughs> so I was like <laughs> feeling really good about myself. And then somebody like right after the election said, 
oh, did you take that bit from Joel Benenson? I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't take that bit from Joel Benenson. They're like, he tells the same story. I'm like, no, maybe Joel Benenson took that bit from me. Or maybe because we're both from New York and, you know, that's how everybody – The way you say pollster. Yeah, like I'm a pollster, you know, like I, who knows. But I, yeah, was like, okay. I was like, no, he's from Queens. I went, you know, I'm from Queens originally. So maybe there's something Queensy about it or maybe or maybe he took that bit from me. I don't know. So I don't, I'm just asking the question. This I don't know. story of you getting sort of <laughs> voice recognized in the line for voting. So I did a focus group yeah. two weeks ago where for the first time ever, like over the last two weeks, I've had multiple participants who've been like, are you on the local news? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Not, I don't think I'm on your local news. Right. <laughs> and so I sometimes will intentionally wear like almost no makeup when I go to moderate. Right. I sometimes will just wear my glasses. I remember there's an episode of Mad Men where Dr. Faye, like oh, she, I love Dr. I, Faye. Doesn't she like put on a wedding ring when she does oh, these groups yes. to like fake yes. so that they won't? Yeah. So she's not there some are career all lady. of these yeah. shenanigans we pull. Yeah, I'm just a focus group moderator. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but Stephen Buckley asks. What's the weirdest thing someone's ever said in a focus group? I mean, that is a – God, we could do a whole episode of that. That is a really, really – I'm going to have to – I'm going to have to – I mean, I think maybe – all right. This is, I don't know if this is the weirdest, but this is a weird thing where some – we were – it was something – we were doing some kind of like healthcare group and somebody felt like if they had a heart transplant that their personality would take on – whatever the personality of whoever like donated the organ that they would become more that sounds like a marvel movie (laughs) (laughs) so that was you know that was unusual that was unusual but i I don't you know i have a couple okay there there was one time in i was doing focus groups in i think it was new hampshire asking about it was this kind of women in politics issue was it, that was not the main focus of the group but it was just sort of a thing that got kind of tacked in like oh it just ask these couple questions we're kind of curious it was a group of female swing voters and in the group one of the respondents just like apropos of nothing like she was saying that she had a bagel for breakfast that morning was like i don't really think women should be in political office and it was like how do you even how do you, like, manage that? Like, everyone else in the room, their eyes have grown, like, super wide. And you as a moderator just have to poke her face and be like, okay, tell me more about that. Or, like, right. okay, next respondent, what, tell me what you think about this issue. Like, when people just drop bombs like that or, like, say something that is definitely problematic and you have to, like, be like, wow, you just – I a few weeks ago had a woman in a focus group say, like, when I'm looking to where I want to move – um, I look at the percentage of free lunch that people get in schools, and if there are lots of kids at a school that have free lunch, I don't want to move to that district. And like, I'm like, there are at least half the people in this room who's like, kids definitely get free or reduced lunch. Like, this is so offensive. And so, like, how do I, as a moderator, like, okay, let's all try to be still comfortable in this room, even yeah. though lady in the back left corner just insulted half the rest of the participants in the room. Like, oh, yeah. Stuff like that yeah. happens. If we want to have that list, I could. I, oh. I got thousands of those. I guess those so, are not so funny. I, those so are, I, you know, so that's part all, of the job. And it, when I did my sort of couple year break of doing more, you know, hardcore political work, and I did a bunch of focus groups on breakfast, and someone in my neighborhood was like, what's it like doing focus groups about breakfast? I'm like, it's great. Like, nobody says anything offensive. They're just like, I like cereal. I like eggs. You know, <laughs> nobody gets mad. It's 
totally benign. Um, so, th- so that's like that's you know that's very very nice. Um, you know, I, I would say, I mean, I've had lots of people. I've had not lots of. I've had several people who like happen to know somebody or live in the neighborhood of somebody in the focus group. They didn't know until they show up, and then like it turns out their kids are friends, or like there's a mom and daughter because you're like in a small market, and they didn't know that they were going to be in the same room, and then they are. They're there. Um, you know, I've had folks like, ask, you know, when I walk in the room, they're, or they're like, you are not from here, are you? I'm like, no, but I'm like, they right away say, I, I bet you're from the Northeast. I bet you're from New Jersey. I get that from t- sometimes. So, um, so there's definitely my oh, worst oh, year not from around here was the time I walked into a focus group of Latino parents in Los Angeles, California, as a horrific sunburn was developing that I had like contracted earlier <laughs> in the day. And I just was turning progressively redder throughout uh-huh. the group. And a woman, as she was walking out, was like, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> That's <laughs> like, funny. Fact. <laughs> oh, the funniest thing was I was in a focus group and it turned out it was the dad of like my one of my best friends from college was in the group and I had been a bridesmaid at her wedding. But it had been a while ago and she had like 10 bridesmaids. So I wasn't insulted that he didn't remember me. But I had to wait until the group was over before – I was like, hi, it's me. Remember me? I was in, you know, your daughter's wedding. So um, and then like I had to have a, like I had a whole heart to heart with him. Like, why doesn't she call me back? Like and all the, my whole client in the back room, like, what is happening to Margie? I'm like, I've really lost touch with her. Like after the group was over, I kind of like unraveled like my whole like post-college friendship thing with him. And um, and the client was like, OK, are you OK now? <laughs> like, Can we move on and go go out to dinner now? So, um, so that was one of my funnier focus group moments. A question coming to us from Sunny Bunch, co-host of the Weekly Substandard. Uh, How many decibels is your dishwasher? This is a very relevant topic of conversation on their podcast. Uh, Uh, Mine is super quiet. What type of dishwasher do you have? It's a Bosch. Maybe it's Bosch. Bosch. (laughs) Why? Is that what you have? Why is that funny? That is – they have devoted, I swear to God, 60 minutes of content to the – Procurement research on and procurement procurement of a Bosch dishwasher. So, I have to say that's beautiful. I mean, I have to say, like I've had, like I've also had washer dryers by them, and I have this dishwasher, and it's like it's quiet, and it's so quiet that it has a little light on the bottom, so you know what it's on because it's that quiet, wow. which is really nice. But it's also problematic, and then and then you know I have this kind of rule, but I haven't kept up with it with the dishwasher, which is after the second time it breaks. You're gone. You know, you're gone appliance. And I've heard this in a focus group with women. I'm like, what could, you know, corporate America do to, like, make your life easier? And one of the things they said was stop building appliances that are designed to break immediately. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I'm like, I'm with you, lady. And so I have, like, a two-break rule, but I have let the dishwasher slide on that rule. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll hear from our Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Sponsor. All right, we're back. Let's take a look at some more of these questions that you all have tweeted to us. Um, let's see. How has this is coming to us from Ken Hesser? Uh, 
How has the rise in popularity of Nate Silver, starting with Grantland and now at 538, affected your profession as a whole, good or bad? First of all, I actually don't know if Nate Silver was at Grantland. As an avid consumer of Grantland content back in the day, I feel like Nate Silver got brought in to ESPN by Bill Simmons, but kind of toward the end of Bill Simmons' tenure at ESPN. So I was, I, 538 existed before any other media outlets touched it. Like it was just Nate's right. blog back in the day, right? Yes. But just I, like Mystery Pollster, pollster.com. Yep. Uh, so how would you say, though, the rise of these like forecasters and data journalism, like how has that, has that changed at all? what our job is like. So it hasn't changed what my actual job is like. What it's changed is, one, you have a lot of people who want to go into this job. It's not like some random thing that you have to, you know, read about in the paper or kind of move to Washington to know that it exists. Like now it's part of this like wide public sense of that there's this is an industry of being like, you know, data journalism. There are data journalism like certificates you can get that you know, people go back to school to learn data journalism. There's political data conferences that uh, we've both spoken to. Um, I mean, this is a, you know, this is now a, a, a discipline that it means that there are a lot of people paying attention to this industry, which is, I think, great. It means there are lots of young people who want to go into this field, which is great. I mean, the main thing that I would say that's a, I don't want to say it's like a, it's a, a downside, but it's just a thing to think about, which is this piece of polling is different than some of the other stuff that we have to do for our clients, which is write succinct messages, write succinct questions that are clear, that are in voters' own language, that, you know, hear what voters are saying in focus groups and distill it in a way where we're, like, trying to think through their motivations, not necessarily taking them exactly for their words. Sometimes they're they're trying to symbolize or, or express a value that we need to be able to be receptive to. And those things are totally different than forecasting, but is also polling. From Malaya Cromer, who is a professor, uh, the director of the Goucher Poll, um, asks us, what sorts of skills should we, the professors of future pollsters, be teaching students? What do you want your entry-level hires to know? Yeah, well... What do you think? Have you have hired younger people recently? I, Malaya is great, by the way, at Goucher Poll. They do a great job, and she is a great observer of Maryland politics. So I see all her tweets all oh, the yeah. time. Yes. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I want younger folks who have skills in writing as well as quantitative and really being able to, like, proof and catch and see all the different ways, like, you know, the first job is so much like quality control. So being able to like keep all the balls in the air and figure and have being able to be fast enough and ask enough questions and being open minded enough to be able to catch mistakes. Like that's the first, you know, you're kind of the last line of defense before something goes out the door. And so being able to like really know what to look for and how to catch some of that stuff is great. And also being able to just ask questions, ask questions of everybody on the team, being, you know, excited to like work on the on the work um, and, you know, paying attention to all the different pieces because it's such a generalist kind of job. Yeah, I think, you know, there are times when I need to hire someone who is skilled at R and Python and can be a data person. But that's not everybody that I need right. to hire. Um, I've got Jonathan at my firm who is fabulous at this stuff. And Jonathan, when you know I say that I need something, Jonathan can produce it for me. Um, but I also need 
and especially for the entry-level hires, I think those writing skills are so key. I think writing skills, frankly, if you were someone who walked into my office and said, I really care a lot about making beautiful PowerPoint presentations that effectively convey the information a client needs, I would be like, can I hire you immediately and pay you a million (laughs) dollars? Because that is the... Like, I mean, I I have a great team at Echelon, but the one thing that I still am so protective of doing myself is slide decks because as the person who's going to be presenting them, I like they have to have a certain flow and I have to feel like the slides are not trying to throw too much at you on one slide, but like it's effectively telling a story. It's not just numbers on slides. And that's a skill, but I think it's a skill that professors can begin teaching kids in college. Right. right. So, I mean, that's what I would hire. If you can crush a PowerPoint, come work at Echelon. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess they must. I mean, I know people in high school now use PowerPoint. We didn't do that when I was in high school. You know, we had like dot matrix printers and not everybody had, you know, computers back when I was in high school. But, um, you know, we had the like little... What are those things? You rip the, you know, the perforation on the side kind of stuff. Um, So anyway, you know, now you have like a lot of younger people have those skills at a much earlier age. And it's not just about, you know, how much stuff can you actually fit? It's what do you want people to see and hear? And you have to be, I think, have a little bit of experience being in the room receiving a PowerPoint, perhaps also delivering a PowerPoint. I don't know if this is something that different policy and polling programs teach, presumably, but I don't I don't know the answer to that. But I think that would be a good skill where you take turns not just delivering or making, but also listening so you can get a real sense of, you know, how a PowerPoint presentation should go. Uh, up next, well, let's do two more questions. Yeah. Uh, Liz Cantor from APNORC asks, oh, and by the way, her Twitter bio, liker of data and beer, relevant to the last <laughs> episode we taped, relevant. Uh, Liz asks, what are your biggest pet peeves when it comes to question wording? Yeah, I I love a good question wording beef. Yeah, no, when it's like not, when it's too vague, the question's too vague and everybody can kind of make up whatever they want. We talked about this in the last show about like media companies that behave badly or bad behavior. What is bad behavior? Is that like, you know, they double dipped, you know, in the in the chip bowl? Like what is bad behavior? You know, so um, like so those kinds of things are a little bit too vague. And sometimes they're deliberately vague and you're it's just it's just a you're capturing what people think of, but you have to recognize that that's imprecise. Like the gun question that I always talk about, should we have stronger laws or less strong laws or should we keep laws the same? And you don't know what people are talking about when they are thinking, what they're thinking about when they say stronger laws, but it's still useful to get a sense of where they are, even if it's just not the only the only useful way to capture it. Um, but some questions are so vague where you're like, that's not right. Or if questions are so complicated, you're like, come on, nobody's going to understand what that is. Yeah, I think it's the, there's the complication question like where clearly the question was written by someone who's way too deep in the weeds on the issue and can't take a step back to think about how's the average person going to respond to this. But my most common question beef, I think, is when there is a question posed and then the response options do not fully capture like the complete universe of things someone might respond to uh, unprompted on that question. So where, you know, on this show, when I'll say, okay, they asked, is it appropriate to collude? I mean, this is I'm making up an example on the fly, but like, is it appropriate to collude with Russia or 
collusion didn't happen. Right, right. And like, well, wait a minute. But you could also say collusion was inappropriate. I mean, that's like an extreme example. Right. But that sort of thing drives me nuts. Or if they're not mutually exclusive, like the categories overlap. Bingo. Yeah. If the categories are either not mutually exclusive or you're missing categories. And then in some ways, it's not a question wording beef so much as a reporting on polls beef where like a question will be worded a certain way and will be asking one thing. And then like the headline on the story is something different that is not actually what's captured by the question wording. So that that drives me nuts, too. Okay, last question comes to us from Shannon King. She asks, if you have been working in politics, policy, government, but want to narrow your career focus on polling and political strategy, how do you make that transition? How do you become a pollster? Well, I mean, you're almost you're basically there. If you've been working in politics, policy and government and you want to focus on more politics, then you're you're pretty close to you're you're in an adjacent field. It's not that much of a leap. I think, you know, the first thing would be to find people who are have the job that you want or working in the industry or kind of company that you want to and, you know, uh, suggest doing some sort of informational interview or reaching out to them, finding some person who can help connect you. Um Volunteering on a campaign is one is, you know, is a good way or volunteering on a variety of campaigns, sometimes depending on the kind of organization you work for. But there are a lot of organizations with some sort of political angle that will let people go out and work on a campaign over the last, you know, few weeks. That's something that that folks do. So you can get a little bit of a sense of the political campaign side. You know, the the other piece would be, um, you know, can you, you know, work on a polling project in your organization? I mean, there are a lot of organizations where there's somebody who's a polling director who they oversee all the polls in their organization or they spearhead a polling project or research effort. You can also, you know, take on older data. Sometimes there are organizations that have done lots of polling and, you know, or there's lots of polling on a topic, but they want to kind of synthesize it. Can you start by taking all the public polls on whatever your topic is? And write some sort of meta-analysis or some sort of lit review of all the polls that have been out. And that's a way to kind of dig a little deeper into the topic and have some kind of, you know, material to show somebody if you're trying to go to an interview. All right. I think I said that that was the last question, but I've got one more. comes to us from The Mooch. Not actually The Mooch, I don't think. <laughs> but somebody's Twitter handle is at the underscore Mooch sure. underscore. Uh, settle a bet for me. Has anyone ever called you Kristen Poltis Anderson due to how many polls you have done throughout your career? I can say you, the mooch, are the first. <laughs> Congratulations. I definitely think Margie Omero, margin of error, margin of error. is for sure my favorite <laughs> of the name poll. There isn't any, I mean, constructs going on here. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I just lucked out that Marge, you know, Margie Omero, although I have to say, I was in an event. So yeah, margin of error, just to catch everybody up, margin of error is when you listen to car talk at the end, they would say, our statistician is Margie and error, or something like that. And like once or twice a year, somebody would send me an email like, hey, do you, are you the statistician for car talk? And I guess car talk is not a thing anymore. So I don't really get that so much, but, but one time somebody tweeted at car talk, like, Oh, I just heard your statistician on NPR. That's great, or something. And then Car Talk had to respond like, "Nope, that's not. That's that's just a joke. That's not her." Um, so that's pretty funny. But I did meet somebody. I don't have an apostrophe in my name. This is not the question. I don't have an apostrophe in my name, but I met somebody at an event recently. Her name was Margaret O apostrophe Mira M E A R A, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And 
And I, and I and I was like, she is going to be like really like freaked out to meet me because I'm sure because this was like a Democratic women's thingy. And I was like, I'm sure she get people are like, oh, Margie Amer- and Margie, you know, Margie Amer-. And she was like, no, I don't know who you are. And this is not really that interesting to me. I'm like, how are you not blown away by this news that we have met each other? And she was like. You know, I'm 23. I don't really care. Like she was like totally non, like nonplussed by this like mega moment for me. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thank you for joining us for this yeah. mailbag. Uh, you can find us at at the pollsters individually at Margie O'Mero and at K Soltis Anderson. www.thepolsters.com. We'll be back with you next week. Yeah, enjoy the summer. <laughs>